0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how God gave Noah a covenant to come into the ark and to keep anyone alive that came in with him. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages.
1: All things after the counsel of his own will. See, the materials, God alone. The plans from God alone. power of God, the power of his word, the power comes from God alone. And ashes. Now Job knows it's just all about God. He knows it's all about God alone. The creation is all about God alone. The covenants are all about God alone.
0: Now here's Tom Canters. We conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday
1: expository study in the book of Genesis. So most of God's covenants are this kind, which are called conditional covenants. They do involve something for a man to do in order for a man to get the benefit. You know, he had to go in the ark, he had to build the ark, and then he had to go into the ark. In the case of the other kind of covenant, which is exampled in Genesis 9, that is an unconditional covenant. Man gets the benefit without doing anything. Man gets the benefit that the earth is not going to be destroyed with water that he is living on again, and man doesn't have to do anything about that. Now, God's new covenant, or the New Testament, new covenant, as stated in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. <laughs> See, that required, that last part of that verse, which is God's covenant, requires man to do something that's the that whosoever believeth on him that is a conditional covenant and so it's that it requires a decision by man you know we had as part of our statement of uh, beliefs for israel restoration ministries our goal was quote to bring the knowledge of god which is the lord jesus christ and his commandments for all to be saved from their sins and from hell, and to bring that to all Jewish people around the world and to persuade them to obey. See? And then we had had several complaints from Jewish people who said that that sounds like we're favoring, forcing Jewish people to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them said stronger words than that. Anyway, so as a result of their comments, we added the phrase at the end, while respecting the dignity of each person to make his own decision. So it reads, to persuade them to obey, while respecting the dignity of each person to make his own decision. Because that's what God's covenants do. They respect the dignity of each person to make his own decision. You know, God didn't say to Noah, you know, get up, Noah, build the ark, you're off a schedule today. And then when the ark was finished, God didn't say, now stand up and I'll push you through the door. He didn't say that. He didn't do that because it was Noah's decision. and God respected the dignity of the decision of those who said they weren't going to go with Noah and they weren't saved. Now, there's a little detail that's so important that it's repeated over and over and over again in verses 18, verses 19, verses 20. A little phrase. What's the phrase? Or the thought repeated in verses 18, 19, and 20 of Genesis 6 in the Bible. <laughs> so, no, you got to look at it actually. <laughs> it's at Genesis 18, 19, and 20. didn't say that there. Okay, well, that's, that's another. Then there's a second little thought. <laughs> it's so important, and it, it's, it's this Genesis 18, come into the ark with thee. Verse 19, keep them alive with thee. Verse 20, come unto thee. To keep them alive. That little detail is very, very important. And so it's stated again in Genesis 7 7. It says, And Noah went in and his sons with him and his sons' wives with him. See? Into the ark because the waters of the flood. What is being emphasized here is that God determined at that time with Noah that if anyone was going to be saved from that flood, he had to come to Noah. If anybody was going to be kept alive, He had to go with Noah. And that's the way that was. God had made Noah chief pin or king pin. God had made Noah the key for anyone to be saved. If a person said at that time, You know, Noah, I just don't get along with Noah. Yeah, somebody might have said that. Or, You know, Noah, he's just not part of my people. I don't know what people they have, but anyway. Or there's something that I just don't like about Noah as a person. I just can't go to Noah. I just can't go with Noah. Then that person would not be saved. Because this is all about with Noah, going to Noah. To be saved, it had to be by going to Noah. To be saved, it had to be by going with Noah. You know, my stepfather was Ezra Goodman, and he had a brother, still alive, Eli Goodman. And their father was a book printer in Manhattan, New York City. So growing up, Ezra and Eli loved books. And they both moved out to LA together. And Eli today has one of the largest used bookstores uh, in Los Angeles called the Metropolitan Bookstore on Melrose Avenue. And uh, it's an amazing place. I mean, he sleeps there on the books. Eli is an interesting person, never been married. And Ezra became a writer. He loved to interview people and write. He interviewed Humphrey Bogart and Marilyn Monroe and Walt Disney. And then he wrote a book, The 50-Year Decline and Fall of Hollywood, which is a little rough reading, but it's very well written. Anyway, for, for some reason, Ezra loved to swim. and He was a terrific swimmer, and he loved to swim in the ocean. And one day in the morning, Ezra is in San Diego. He went to go swim at the Torrey Pine State Beach. You all know where that is? It's a little bit of rough water down there, for a morning swim. And he used to swim outside the breakers, you know, back and forth. And on that morning, when he was finished swimming back and forth, he looked up, and to his surprise, he was much farther out than he thought he was when he started. So he didn't realize that the current had carried him out. And so he started to swim back. He was tired, but he started to swim back, and he couldn't do it because the current was too strong for him. And so finally, in desperation, what Ezra did is he waves his hands and he yells, and fortunately, there was a lone lifeguard who had been watching Ezra swimming there, and he jumps in the water with his life preserver, and he swam out to Ezra, and he, he pulled him to shore. So that lifeguard really saved Ezra's life, and he talked about it. Now, what if, when the lifeguard reached Ezra, if Ezra would have said, "Oh no, I'm sorry." I don't like you. <laughs> or if he would have said, you're not part of my people, you're not Jewish. See? What if he had said that? Please send a Jewish lifeguard. Well, there was no other lifeguard, you know, and, and there wasn't time to get a decision from the rabbinical council. So <laughs> if he had done that, then he wouldn't have been saved, see, because there was no other lifeguard to save Ezra. And Ezra, to be saved on that day, it had to be by going to that lifeguard. For Ezra to be saved on that day, it had to be going with that lifeguard. And that's exactly what God is emphasizing in these verses of 18, 19, 20, with the come into the ark with thee, verse 19, keep them alive with thee, verse 20, come unto thee to keep them alive. And it's exactly the case with the Lord Jesus Christ. God makes it very, very clear, and if you like to turn to it, otherwise it's not so long for it. Isaiah 43.11. Isaiah 43.11 makes this very, very clear. This verse in Isaiah 43.11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So if a Gentile person says about the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, but I just don't like Jewish people. I can't go to the Lord Jesus Christ for that reason, then God will reply the words of Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. If a Jewish person says about the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, but I was brought up to never say that name. I was brought up seeing Jesus Christ as the God of the Gentiles, as the God of the enemies of the Jewish people. I can't go to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't go to him. Then God will reply with the words of Isaiah forty three eleven. I even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior, Ezra in the lifeguard. I even I am the lifeguard, beside me there is no lifeguard. It's the same thing. That's why in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beside me there is no Savior. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved beside me there is no savior just as with noah before the flood just as with ezra at torrey pines beach that's the way it is for all people today only one savior and to be saved it's necessary to go with that one savior that's why the lord jesus christ when he gave the invitation in matthew eleven twenty eight, 28 he said come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation is to come to him. It's to go with him. That's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ explained the core reason why the Jewish people of his day were not saved was John 5:40, where he said, And you will not come to me that you might have life. Imagine if the people in Noah's day had shouted to Noah, We hate you, Noah then Noah could have yelled back the same words, you will not come to me that you might have life. Imagine again, as you said, if Ezra had said to the lifeguard, I'm Jewish and I only want a Jewish lifeguard, then the lifeguard could have yelled back, you will not come to me that you might have life. And if anyone today says, anyone but Jesus, I would rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus. Then the Lord Jesus Christ says to that person, the sad words of John 5 40 you will not come to me that you might have life very very sobering now there's another angle and uh, which this will be our last point we want to consider and that is the with thee looked at from Noah's point of view so we looked at the with thee looked at from the lost point of view now i want going to look at it from Noah's point of view the with these of Genesis 6 and 7 now When Noah heard the words in verse 19, keep them alive with thee, and verse 20, come unto thee to keep them alive, those words were a challenge for Noah, because Noah was sitting there saying, if I can persuade anyone to come with me, I can keep them alive. So we're sure that Noah worked hard on trying to persuade anyone, forget about the fact no one did, just look at Noah, he worked very hard to try to persuade anyone to come to him. Anyone to come with him because Noah knew it was a critical matter of life and death. And that became Noah's obsession, like it was Paul's obsession. And he talked about it in Romans 11, 14. He says, If by any means I may provoke to emulation or make someone jealous, them which are my flesh or Jewish people, and might save some of them. So he was saying, If I can provoke the Jewish people, any Jewish person, to jealousy over the peace of God that I have, of the security, over the knowledge of where I'm going when I die and so forth, so that they will come with me as I bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ and they can be saved. And Paul said, I'll do that. And that's why he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He says, if I can become anything to anyone so that he'll come with me, To the Lord Jesus Christ, I can keep him alive and I'll do that. And the picture that we have of that challenge to us is when Jacob sees Esau after they've been separated for 25 years and he comes back and he sees them. He's been with Laban for 25 years and Esau looks at Jacob and he looks at his family. And in Genesis 33 5, it says, Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Wouldn't it be wonderful? for us to go to heaven with those who came with us, who we were able to persuade to come. And the Lord Jesus Christ said the same words to us. Well, who are these? The ones who you gave me, the God graciously has given me, who came with me, that they might save them alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage here and what it teaches us about we need to see God alone what it teaches us and challenges us to bring others to keep them alive. Lord, all these things that we've learned this morning, we pray that you would keep them within our hearts and minds and that as they percolate, Lord, in our thoughts, that they would change our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom,
0: today you talked about when Jacob saw Esau after their long separation. Wasn't Jacob thinking that Esau was going to kill him? Why did Esau have a change of mind.
1: Well, that's one of the mysteries, but you know, it's true because what we read in Genesis 27, 42 was really the last time that Jacob saw Esau. And what it says there is that, and these words of Esau and the words that are being referred to there is where Esau basically has come away from his father, Isaac, and now he understands that his brother Jacob has stolen his birthright. And so he was basically saying, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. Esau saying, I'll kill Jacob. And so when we see this in Genesis twenty-seven forty-two, it said, and these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. I mean you can imagine the scene this is this is kind of incredible I mean you know here's the mother and she's uh, she she hears that her older son Esau is now talking about killing her younger son, Jacob. And so she goes to, to Jacob, and I mean, she's really commandeered this whole thing from the very start. I mean, she was the one who told Jacob, listen, obey my voice and pretend that you're Esau and I'll make the savory meat uh, to fool your father and my husband. And, uh, you know, put on this goat skin on your arm and and just uh, obey my voice, obey my voice, do what I say. So, you know, she's it's, it's kind of backfired a little bit for her because now she's about to witness, you know, the killing of her son by her by her older son. Anyway, so what happens here is that she gets Jacob alone and she says, your brother Esau is so enraged. He's so infuriated. He's so angry that the only thing that comforts him is when he he sits there and he's planning how he's going to kill you and that makes him feel good. He's sitting there thinking about you know am I going to kill him this way? Am I going to kill him that way? And and that's how serious this is right now. So then Rebecca takes the lead again, and and later on she then goes on and she says to to Jacob, you got to get out of here. You have to leave. And that's how come Jacob left his house. That was the surrounding circumstances in which which uh, which which uh, which which was why Jacob left and he went to Laban. It's been a long time, about twenty five years. And so the last thing he remembers about. Esau. You know, I just don't think that Jacob said, okay, let's have a big, huge going away party right now. And especially my brother, let me hug and kiss him. You know, I don't think that's the way it happened at all. I think he slid out the back door and he hightailed it out and he was gone. And the last thing he remembered in his mind was that the only comfort that my brother Esau has in life is how he's going to kill me and his purpose to kill me. So he's got tremendous reason to not go back in Isaac land you know in that direction and and uh, well of course you know he we know what happens he goes to Laban and he finds himself in another vice but anyway he's coming back now because it's gotten to be intolerable in in Laban's house Laban has is just accusing him of stealing everything that he has and impoverishing him and taking all the riches and so forth and the last union that they had with Laban when when Rachel had stole the the idols was that Laban had said to him, you know, I was going to do you harm, but your God came to me last night in a dream and told me not to touch you. So he can't go in that direction, you know, because the Laban is is uh, is not exactly very welcoming. So he's got to go back. And as he's coming back, this was the conversion of Jacob in Genesis 32, when he wrestled with God all night long. And he, he named that place. Uh, Peniel, because he said he saw the face of God, and 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 then God—that's the Lord Jesus Christ—that he saw. God then changed his name to Israel. He says, "As a prince hast thou power with God." That's how we got his name. But what was he wrestling with God over? He was wrestling with God over what was going to happen to him when he encountered Esau. That's what he was so afraid of because Esau's wrath was so strong and Esau wanted to kill him and and Jacob was absolutely beside himself. He took his whole family, divided them into two parts. Well, maybe if there's a slaughter on this side, they'll at least let the others go free. And so this is what he's thinking here. He's visualizing his children and his wives being slaughtered by Esau, who he's just heard is coming out to meet him with a party of 400 men. And he's thinking to himself, why in the world is he coming with 400 men unless he's planning a great slaughter? And so this is the pressure that he was under that broke this man, Jacob, from being the I man and the all about me to being the God man, to being to being all about God. And that's when he became, that's when he got his real power because then he was no longer trusting in himself. God had put his hip joint out of joint. And so he couldn't even put it. He couldn't even rest his weight on his hip. And for the rest of his life, he limps. The wrestler with God in the end became the clinger to God when he said, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. And that's when he found his strength. And that's why God said at the end, now, finally, you're a strong man. He said, as a prince hast thou power, hast thou strength with God and with men have prevailed. In other words, he was saying, Jacob, all your life, you've looked in yourself all your life, you relied on your own resources every way down the line from choosing a wife to making the, the streaks and the rods and to try to manipulate the the goats and the sheep to have the certain color uh, kids and, and so forth so they could be your Whereas all your life you relied on yourself, you've leaned on yourself, your legs have leaned on your hip. And now because of Esau and this pressure that's come on you, this great experience here at Peniel, and now your hip is out of joint and you can't rely on yourself. You can't even put weight on your own hip. And so now you become a clinger. You've clinged to me. And you said, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. Now you found your strength. And so, this is the great conversion that happened to Jacob when he became Israel, a prince with God. But what he said in, in uh, Genesis 33:10, when he finally does encounter Esau, and Esau is totally reconciled with him. And Esau loves him and they fall on each other's neck and they kiss each other's neck and so forth. And so then Jacob speaks. Jacob said, nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present in my hand. So in other words, what he did is he brought a big present to, to Esau and, and Esau said, no, you keep it. But, but Jacob says, no, no, no. He said, if I found grace in your sight, then receive my present at my hand. And then he says something very, very significant. He says, "'For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me.'" That was an amazing statement that Jacob made to Esau. He said, "'I saw your face.'" And it was just like I saw the face of God, and you were pleased with me. What in the world was he talking about? This is Esau. This is not God. Why did he say that? That he said, when I saw your faces, I saw the face of God. He just had named the place the face of God. Peniel means face with God. And he just had said when he had wrestled with God all night long, and he said, I saw God. I saw God face to face. And he named the place the face of God, Peniel. That happened the chapter before in Genesis 32. But now in this chapter here, when he meets Jacob, when he makes Esau, why in the world did he say, I've seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased to me? Why did he do that? Very simple. Because the last face that he saw of Esau was the face of a man who was full of wrath, ready to, to kill him. It's just like she said, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee in Genesis twenty-seven forty-two, The last face that he saw of Esau was one that he was ready to kill him. But now, and you asked the question, why did Esau have a change of mind? I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out. But, what it, but the point is, Esau did have a change of mind, and his whole face has changed. His face has changed now to one of reconciliation. His face now has changed to one of love, to one of friendship, to one of care and concern. And so that's why, that's why Jacob says, oh, when I look in your face, my brother Esau, It's like I'm looking in the face of God, because before God was angry with me, but then he said, thou wast pleased with me, he said to his brother, now God is pleased with me. That is a picture of the gospel, because before we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the face of God is one of anger and wrath and judgment and bad things, terrible, terrible things against us because of our sins. But because of the cross, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he took all of our sins upon himself, he died for our sins, God's face changes totally, toward us, just like Esau's face did. And now God is pleased with us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we can repeat the words that Jacob said to Esau, and that's so instructive for us. We can say, God, I see your face, and you are now pleased with me because the death of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, paid for all my sins, and the anger is gone.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Now, what are the most frequently asked questions that Jewish people have? Well, Tom Cantor's written a book called Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People. This book will help you to better reach lost Jewish people, as well as know your Bible doctrine better and contend for the faith with anyone you encounter, whether they're Jew or Gentile, with nearly 60 pages of questions and notes that will help answer and show the character and doctrine and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as you've never seen it before. This is a wonderful book. If you'd like to obtain a copy of this, you can go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Click on our resources link, and under there you can find Tom Cantor materials that are available for ordering. So go to friendshipwithgod.org to order your Tom Cantor materials and this particular book, The Frequently Asked Questions That Jewish People Have, The Top 35 Questions That Jewish People Have. Get a copy of this book. You can also call us to get a copy at one 800 247 3051. That's 1 800 247 3051. Once again, that's 1 800 247 3051. You can also call us if you want to reach a lost Jewish person, or you can fill out a form online at friendshipwithgod.org. We'll send a free Tom Cantor gospel gift and DVD to you or to your lost Jewish friend. Or call us 1 800 247 3051.